Well, church, today we continue our incredible series in the book of Mark. And this morning's message is from Mark 9, 38 to 50. So please turn there, Mark 9, 38 to 50. And the title of this morning's message is True Discipleship, True Discipleship. Now, Jesus has been teaching on true discipleship since chapter 8. That's why we slowed down in the book of Mark when we hit chapter 8, because Jesus is now slowing down. The book slows down, and for these next eight chapters, he's going to go step by step on his road to Jerusalem. If you look on the map, you'll see that Jesus has been primarily in Capernaum. He's been doing most of his ministry in Capernaum, in Galilee, and now Starting with today, he's going to start that road from Capernaum following this brown line all the way down to Jerusalem where he will give his life. He will be rejected and he will die and he will raise again from the dead. And he's been telling his disciples since chapter 8, this is what I'm going to do. They're going, no, 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 Lord, you're going to Jerusalem to be crowned as king. And he said, no, I'm going to Jerusalem to be crucified as your savior. And they didn't get it. And so he's been teaching them about true discipleship. Remember a couple of weeks ago when he said to the disciples, if you want to follow me, then you have to deny yourself and take up your cross to follow me. And then last week when he said true discipleship, it's not being first of all, it's being last of all and servant of all. This is true discipleship. And much like the GPS voice that we have on our smartphones when we do Google Maps, or your GPS in your car, and you punch in the address, and as you're driving, it says, turn left in two blocks. Take exit five. Whoops, you missed it. Turn around. Recalculating. And that voice is continually guiding us to our destination. So Jesus, in this word this morning, is guiding us on the road of true discipleship. Much like when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration. And God said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. I want to pray this morning that we would listen to the GPS voice. We would listen to God's authoritative voice as we are on the road of true discipleship. Because it is a road that is foreign to us. Intuitively, it doesn't seem like we can get there from here going that way. We're like the disciples. I want the crown, but I don't want the cross. I want the glory, but I don't want the suffering. And the Lord is patiently saying, oh, but if you want the glory, you must do the suffering because that's what I'm doing and I'm your Lord. If you want the crown and you will have it, you must embrace the cross and crosses hurt. And so I pray that that voice would gain traction in you and me, that we would listen to that voice. Because listen, I know this is difficult. If you're here as an unbeliever, thank you for coming. I don't want to make Christianity be what it's not. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's not a a best way to have your best life scheme. It is not a little something you add to your life so you'll be happy. It is not about you. I want to be clear about that. It's about God. And the way of discipleship is hard. But I also want to be clear. There's glory at the end. But I just want to preach what Jesus preached. He didn't come saying, hey, whatever you want to do, do it. I'll just add on to it. No, he came and said, repent for the kingdom of God has come. And so that is what it's all about. And so if you're here as an unbeliever, I pray today God would convict you and that he would open your eyes and you would repent and believe because it's the only road that leads to life. 
Listen to that voice. Even though you think you know better. It knows. Follow it. He'll give you the hearing. And if you're a believer, which is the vast majority of you, look, I know it's hard. I know the cross isn't easy. I know you feel like I'm constantly denying myself. Al, I'm just weary. Can I get a little affirmation? And I just want to encourage you. I want the Lord to encourage you that that voice would be in your ears. Keep going. I want your eyes to be filled with the prize, with the glory of God. Because that glory is what sustained Jesus through the cross. He despised the shame of it, looking to the glory on the other side. And he's our Lord, and he's going to do that in us. So let's pray that he would do that. Friends, here's the reality. Jesus says, do you want to live? Die. Do you want glory? Embrace the cross. You want to be first? Be last. It's counterintuitive, but it's life. So let's pray that we would receive God's grace and hear his voice. Lord, I pray that you would open up the ears of everyone in this room, beginning with mine, even as I read this text and as I preach it, Lord. I pray that we would hear your gentle voice, those of us who need encouragement. I pray we'd hear your rebuking voice, those of us who need rebuking. We would, need, we would hear your life-giving voice, those of us who are dead, those that are dead and need life. You know what each one needs. Lord, Help on this road of true discipleship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please read with me in your text. Mark chapter 9, beginning verse 38. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will it make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. What in the world ties together these crazy, disparate statements? Is there a theme here other than absolutely freaking us out? Some have actually taken this literally and maimed themselves. Let me just tell you up front, that is not the way to interpret this. But what does cutting your hand off have to do with saltiness and fire? And hanging a millstone around your neck. And who are these little ones? Well, I believe they're all tied together by one theme, true discipleship. 
true discipleship. I believe what Jesus is saying here is, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to be all in. All in. That's what ties all of these together and all in around me. You see, here's the question I want to ask you, and I believe that the text is asking you this morning. What do you prize above all else? Money? The approval of others? Success? Having fun or being entertained? Having everything in working order, your world exactly the way you want it? What do you pursue before all else? Security? Respect? Fulfillment? Pleasure? Peace and quiet? See, these questions, what we prize and what we pursue, point to the main theme of this text. As a matter of fact, I believe this statement summarizes what the road of true discipleship is all about. And here it is. Prize Jesus above all else. Pursue Jesus before all else. Prize Jesus above all else because what you prize, you'll pursue. Pursue Jesus before all else. If you don't prize him, you won't pursue him. You, what you prize, you pursue. May our eyes be on the prize. May we be all in. That was a a common saying in the current or the recent NBA championships and the NCAA Final Four. A lot of the teams had these t-shirts that said all in. Cleveland had all in. Why? Because the prize was the championship and so we're going to pursue it. We're all in. Everything we have, all our money, all our time, all our talents, everything. And, And I believe that that is the main point here. Jesus is continuing to teach the disciples on the road to true discipleship, that it's only for those who deny themselves, take up the cross and follow him. Those who are all in on Jesus, those who prize Jesus above all else and pursue Jesus before all else. And John didn't get it. Look at verse 38. John says, this is the John that was with Jesus up on the Mount of Transfiguration, one of his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Teacher, we, and that we, Most people agree, includes his brother James. So it's James and John standing with Jesus making this statement. They're going to make another appearance later on. We saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following. Now you'd think they would say, you. But what do they say? Us. See, they didn't get it. See, they saw the call to discipleship as a call to privilege and as a call to to status and as a call to entitlement. And they're saying, you know what? This guy isn't with us, so make him stop. He is casting out a demon. The thing we couldn't do just a few verses earlier. Make him stop. We told him to stop. You see, what happened was John was not prizing Jesus above all else. He was prizing his position, his status as a disciple. What do you prize? Point one, prize Jesus above all else. John saw his call to discipleship not as a call of service, what Jesus had just finished teaching him. If you want to be first of all, be last of all, servant of all. But he saw it as a call to entitlement, to, priv- to privilege, to exclusion. He lost sight of the prize. Jesus saying, no, keep your eyes on the prize. Eyes on the prize. The GPS is saying, recalculating, turn around. You missed the turn off. You missed it. And in verses 39 to 41, Jesus is now going to gently teach John that the prize isn't being part of their little club. 
And it's certainly not him. They're not to follow him. They're to prize Jesus. Look at verse 39 again with me. He says, look, don't stop him. Because anybody doing a mighty work in my name will, will not soon afterwards be able to speak evil of me. Now, we're not sure what this means. We're not sure if there was a rival group of disciples of Jesus who were believers in Capernaum. Remember, Capernaum was his headquarters for quite a while. So maybe there were some that weren't part of the 12. There were, we don't know. It's a little mysterious. But the point is, they're doing a mighty work, and that's God working in them. If they're not part of your little club... You're probably prizing your little club, your church, your movement, whatever, above Jesus. Don't do that. And then in 41, I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. What he's saying is, is he's saying it's all about me because I'm the only one that can reward you eternally. I'm the prize. I'm the one that will reward you. Remember what he said earlier? If you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. I'm watching in secret. Are you prizing me? Or are you prizing your club? Sinclair Ferguson says it this way. In the last analysis, it is more important that the servants of God are devoted to Christ than they are to one of us. Oh, as pastors, this can be a real temptation. Which is why departures can rock a pastor. And it's good. Rock away, God. Chip away at the idol of saying, hey, they're not following us. That's right. They're following me. And if they're not following me here, rejoice in that. They're following me there and they're doing mighty works and they can only do mighty works by my hand. Yes, Lord. Help me, Lord. (laughs) I believe. Help my unbelief. When we're going through the cross, when we're going through difficulties and we're saying, oh, Lord, I'm losing. My eyes are not on the prize. Where's the respect that I want from my spouse, my children? Lord, where's my good name that I was hoping to have, but it's being spoken against? I'm suffering, Lord. It's hard. My eyes are being deviated from the prize. Oh, this is, I think, a huge application for all of us this morning, beginning with me. I I want you to hear God's comforting voice in verses 39 to 41. I'm the one that will reward you. Keep looking at me. Listen, I know that your cross is difficult. But you know who knows it better than me? Jesus. Because he actually went to a cross. Hebrews 4 says that he's the one who has been tempted as each of us have been tempted, yet without sin. He knows that you're at the end of your rope. And he will comfort you and give you mercy and grace in your time of need. Friends, let us see beyond the shame of our cross. And it is, there is shame there. Listen, even Hebrews 12.2 tells us that Jesus did that. Hebrews 12.2 says that we're to look to Jesus, the founder and, and, and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. It's okay to despise the shame. We just, we, we dare not rebel against the cross and God's hand and bringing that cross into our lives. We can despise the shame, but he looked to the glory, so he believed the Father. Oh, Father, if, it be, if there's any other way, Lord, is there any other way? And he said, but not my will, but your will. It's okay to despise the shame, but, but we stay in faith because that's what the founder and perfecter of our faith led us in. And he saw the glory on the other side of the cross and he knew he would endure wrath, but he knew he would also have glory. And that's in fact what happened. He was shamed as a naked man on a cross, died a horrible death. 
and trusted God that three days later God would raise him from the dead. And since he did, and he's now in glory, we can now. God wants to give us that faith that we might prize Jesus and his glory above all else. Because friends, point two, what you prize, you pursue. What you prize, you pursue. You will not pursue that which you do not prize. Listen, we're right in the middle of Jesus' discipleship discourse. That's what theologians call chapters 8, 9, and 10. Three times in these chapters, Jesus tells them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, be rejected, die, and rise from the dead. And they keep telling him, no, no, no. And he's teaching them what it means to be a true disciple. And it involves suffering because he's a suffering servant. It's not about pride and privilege and position and staking out your group and, exa- and, and, and excluding others from your group. As a matter of fact, he gets very serious about it. Look at verse 30, 42. Look at verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. The little ones there are believers. They're not children, they're believers. And the whole idea of a millstone hung around your neck, for a Jew, the thing they feared, they feared the water a lot. Jews were not sailors. They, they, they relied on others to do that for them. And they feared the water. And for, the, for a Jew, one of the worst deaths you could have is by drowning. So Jesus is pers- purposefully using something that will elicit emotion from a Jew. It's like, it's like as if you were claustrophobic and I started talking to you about someone kidnapping you and putting you in a coffin with a little hole for you to breathe through and burying you underneath the ground six feet. Even saying that, some of you are just starting to go like this, right? It elicits emotion from you. So when he says this, it's eliciting emotion from them. And what is he telling them not to do? He's saying, don't be divisive. Saying, don't be divisive. In fact, the church in Rome, to whom he was writing this, remember from what Jim taught us in Romans when he gave us the introduction, was a church of majority Gentiles, minority Jews. It used to be majority Jews and minority Gentiles, but by the time the book was written, and they were fighting against each other about things like the law and what is pure and what can you do, what can't you do. And so what, what, what Jesus is saying to his people through this book of Mark, this gospel of Mark, to the church in Rome, because it was written primarily to the church in Rome, he's saying, don't be divisive. Stop pursuing your agenda. Pursue Jesus' agenda. Even when it doesn't appear like, what? You can't let them do that. Stop it. That's what he's trying to say in verse 42. And then in verses 43 to 48, he's saying pursue Jesus above even the things that you think are indispensable. Now, what is more indispensable than your hand, foot, or eye? He's not saying cut your hand off if you sin. He's not saying cut your foot off if you sin. Gouge your eye out if you lust. He's not saying that. What he's saying is he's using hyperbole. And again, he's eliciting emotion from people. I mean, it's gross to think of gouging your eye out, cutting your hand off, cutting your foot off. But what he's saying is, listen, pursue me. Pursue me because you prize me. Pursue me more than even the things you think are indispensable. One's hand, if you'll notice there, in verse 43, can symbolize what one does. One's foot can symbolize where one goes. And one's eye can symbolize what one sees, how one interprets life. So what he's saying is, are you all in? Is Jesus more important? Are you pursuing him more than what you do, where you go, what you see? You can't just add Jesus 
to your life as sort of a spiritual self-help guru. He's not a little talisman that you have on your keychain to make sure you make it through rush hour on the Palmetto. He's not an add-on to your life. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And, And Jesus used these words, and these are shocking words for us, but the illustrations, the things that Jesus chooses here, as he's saying the choice is this, the kingdom of God, notice where it says there, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, it is better for you to enter life. He's referring to the kingdom of God there. Verse 45, and if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off, it is better to enter life. And then 47, and if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God. What he's saying is, here's the deal. Here's the choice. The kingdom of God, where Jesus is king, he's Lord of all, or the unquenchable fires of hell. And Jesus chose specifically that illustration. As a matter of fact, to a Jew, the word for hell there would have immediately conjured up for them a valley on the southwest part of Jerusalem. It's called the Hinnom Valley. The Greek word there is Gehenna. But it's conjuring up the idea for a Jew of this valley, this Hinnom Valley. And this Hinnom Valley had a very inglorious past. In the Old Testament, it was the place where where godless kings would sacrifice people. And so therefore, it became like a garbage heap. And those of you who grew up in the country, I did not, would know this. If you have a compost pile, or you take a bunch of leaves and put it in a pot, what do you have to be careful of? Spontaneous combustion. It could, be a, it could be on fire. There's this unquenchable fire. So imagine this gross dump, of this garbage dump on the southwest part of Jerusalem. And that's the picture that Jesus says gives us for hell. And he's saying, be careful. Cut your hand off. Cut your foot off. God, your eye out. Because it's better that you go into life with one hand, one foot, one eye than you go with both hands, both feet, and both eyes into hell. It's not your way. It's my way. Discipleship is a total claim on our life. There are no halfway Christians or disciples. Jesus himself used this illustration as a warning and a motivation to follow him in devotion and discipleship. And then I think of Paul, who wrote to the same church years later in the book of Romans. And he said the same thing. Paul said the same thing that Jesus is saying here. He said it a little differently in Romans 12.1. He says to the the Roman Christians, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now let me stop there. The living sacrifice, the temple sacrifice, is the picture that Jesus has in verses 49 and 50 back in Mark 9. When he talks about salt and fire, like what in the world is he talking about there? Well, to a Jew he would understand, sacrifices were salted And then they were consumed by fire. These these whole sacrifices. So when he spoke that way, he says says in verses 49 and 50, he says, um, or 48 and 49 and 50, he says, um, sorry, 49 and 50, for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will it make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. He's saying, listen, it's a whole sacrifice. True discipleship is you're all in. It's, it's, it's prizing Jesus above all else. It's pursuing Jesus before all else. There's no halfway place. And that's what Paul is saying in Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
We can only do this because of God's mercy. We don't earn it. Jesus gives it to us. But once we are his disciples, this is the way. Present your bodies, hand, foot, eyes, representing you, all of who you are, as living sacrifices. Living sacrifices. Salting, going back to Mark 9. We're salted. Holy, made holy and acceptable by God and to God. So I'm made holy and acceptable because of Jesus, not because of me. But then I offer myself as a living sacrifice, trusting in Christ's righteousness, and I'm all in. Are you all in? Are you? That's true discipleship. There's no halfway. By the grace of God, may that comfort you as you're going through your cross, and may that challenge you. If you think you can skate by with half, not possible. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. I know that's hard to explain. I trust the Holy Spirit will help you with that, and it will apply to you as you need it. True discipleship is is defined by Jesus in terms of a living sacrifice, totally consumed by the Lord, offered because of the Lord, and that is the point. Back to our, our main statement. We must prize Jesus above all else and pursue Jesus before all else. Does that describe us? Does that describe me, I ask myself, as I look in the mirror? What do I prize, I ask myself? Perhaps you might ask yourself this question. Do I prize my career as a pastor? And the little metrics that I might use to determine whether it's a successful career or not? Do I prize my friends? I've got to have your approval. I'll do whatever I can do to have your approval. So sometimes I tell you one thing, I tell you the opposite thing, because that's what I know you want to hear, and you want to hear, and I find myself in the middle going, "Uh uh-oh, you did it again. Why? Because I was prizing people's approval more than God's. Do I prize my pleasure, my peace, my recreation? What am I pursuing? Am I pursuing these things? Am I pursuing respect with my spouse to the point that if I don't get it, that I'm willing to sin against her? Or am I prizing Jesus and willing to embrace the cross and look to the glory? Pursuing him. The way I'm going to apply this this week is I'm going to do an audit on Alpino. In-house audit. Because you all know that the day Jesus comes back, that final day of judgment, which are synonymous, uh, an audit will be done. So I'm going to go ahead and do a (laughs) pre-audit. I'm going to look at my time schedule. I'm going to do a time study. Where am I spending my time? I'm going to track my finances, which I do on Quicken, but I often don't look in detail, but I, I log everything in. I'm going to look at my, how am I spending my treasures, and then a talent audit. How, where are my talents? I'm taking my talents to South Beach. Amen. Or Palm Vista. <laughs> which I understand, probably are the same place, but... Where am, I, where am I exhausting all my talents? Who gets my A game? Because... Friends, as I read this text, my time, my treasure, my talents, they're not mine, they're the Lord's. And they will reveal what I prize and what I pursue. Punto. God help us as we compare that with what Jesus is saying here in true discipleship. Good news is, he does. 
Because he does not reject these men. In fact, these men, when it comes right down to it, will reject him. They will deny him. But Jesus died for that sin, and he died for your sin and mine. So when I do the audit and I come up short, I can say, oh, God, forgive me. And he does. He doesn't treat me based upon my sins. He treats me based upon Christ's righteousness. And this is where the gospel sings. I've got a lot of changing to do, church. It would be too much if I thought I had to do it on my own. I don't. The Lord will help me. He who called us is faithful to fulfill the calling. The work he began in Christ, he will complete. That's the promise of Scripture. Consider eternity and Jesus' sober warning. Do you count his kingdom more important than even your hands, feet, and eyes, metaphorically speaking? Will you prize Jesus above all? And pursue him before all. Let's pray. Worship team, please join me up front. Lord, I I thank you for your word. We, We dare not flinch back from sobering words like these this morning. Lord, we 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 are sitting underneath your word and and speechless. I can only imagine your disciples were speechless, particularly James and John. They they were not ready to hear what you said to them. Don't stop that man. Those who are, if they're for us, they're not against us. Whatever mighty work he's doing, it's by my hand. They couldn't comprehend it. Lord, we're the same. We, we, we see the cross and, and we want to run from it. We, we have a natural inclination to avoid the cross. We, we often will go kicking and screaming to the cross. But, oh Lord, the picture of, of someone's arms raised like yours were in, in surrender and their feet nailed to a cross and you did it willingly, you did it in faith. You did it despising the shame, but, but looking to the glory. Lord, we want to be like you. Lord, we're your disciples. We're your followers. We're Christians, Christ-like ones. Lord, the cross is, is for each one of us different. It's a child that is rebellious. It is a spouse that doesn't respect or love us as we would desire. It's, it's people harming us or saying things about us we don't want to hear. It's, it's, it could be sickness. It could be trials. I think of this brother, and this Syrian brother. He's not a brother. This Syrian man whose home is bombed and his pregnant wife had to go to Russia to give birth. And he's in Istanbul and she's in Siberia. It's different. But one thing's the same. You, you went to the cross willingly. You were tempted as we are, yet without sin. You fulfilled your call as a suffering servant. So give us grace to follow you. That the words of our mouth, Lord, the thoughts of our heart would bless your name, Jesus. And that we would follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.